Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you? I hope you're having a fantastic summer. It is August 1st today as this comes out. And I can't believe that it's August already. And, you know, there's all the school supplies in the stores. And I see the little kids, you know, picking out their crayons and their notebooks at the Walmart. <laughs> it um, It's always such an interesting time of the year. It's such a... Um, kind of a start over time every fall. Um, I think still to this day, I think in terms of academic calendars more than I do like regular January through December. Um, So I hope you're having a fantastic summer and I hope you're ready to get to work with your job search or maybe getting a promotion or just really making the most out of the position that you're in. Before I start on today's topic, I want to hook you up with a couple things. One is during the month of August, we are promoting this podcast big time and we've got a contest going on and there's a really nice prize. I'm going to tell you about it. And to enter the contest, you get points every time you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, follow me on um, Instagram, like me on Facebook, and follow me on um, LinkedIn. So um, there's going to be posts on my social media, so tell you kind of kind of tell you how to do that but please follow me it's exclusivecareercoaching.com on instagram i'm lisa.edwards um on um you can find me lisa edwards you can find me on linkedin so if we're not connected on linkedin what the heck what's up right get on there and connect with me because linkedin is where it happens professionally that's like i call it facebook for grown-ups so get on there and let's make it happen so that's one thing. Let's get you hooked up for this price. Oh, you want to know what the price is? So it's like $260 worth of stuff. We've got this really nice computer bag um, that I seriously wanted to steal when it came in. I was excited about it. There's a nice pen and an um, umbrella, and I've got a coffee mug in there. Then I've got a super nice uh, charger for your phone, your iPads, everything. Like It's, it's heavy-duty major. And then I got three $50 gift cards. So it is super nice gift, and I want to hook you up with a chance to win that. So do those things and get on there. The other thing I want to tell you about is I will be having webinars every month starting in August. The first one will be on August 14th. It's always going to be on the second August, uh, second August, the second Tuesday of the month at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. There will be a different topic every month, but the format will be the same. There will be 30 minutes of content presented by me. And then 30 minutes of either and or Q&A, and I will coach you live. If you're brave enough to get on there and co-present with me, I will actually, everybody will be able to see you when you're talking, and I will coach you live. Now, I ask that the coaching and the Q&A be around that month's topic. So this first month is choosing a career path. And so get on there. I'm going to give you the URL. Get on there. Sign up for that webinar and let me um, let me coach you live. So it's uh, exclusivecareercoaching.com slash webinar dash sign dash up. So get on there, get on my website, sign up for that, and I would love to coach you live. Answer any questions you have. If you just want to do it in the Q&A box, um, you can do it that way, and we'll chat. All right, so my topics this month are going to be 
around professionalism and different areas in which I see and, and my colleagues and I see, you know, issues sometimes with, with um, kind of that 22 to 32 year old population. You guys um, have this amazing body of knowledge from school and you're, you're super smart and you're super motivated. And sometimes what trips you up professionally are those kind of other things, those soft skills and the things that they don't always teach you in college, unfortunately. So that's kind of what I want to tackle during the month of August. And today I want to talk about how to speak and write at work. So if this sounds like a boring topic, I promise I'm going to try to make it as interesting as possible. But I really want to address the things that I see. I also did quite a bit of research to kind of see what employers are saying out there, what other professionals are finding to be the issues. And so what I thought this was really an interesting statistic that more than two-thirds of all salary jobs in the United States require substantial written communication skills. And companies spend about $38 million a year training employees to improve their written communication skills. Um, and that's according to Grammarly, the website Grammarly. So t if two-thirds of all jobs require really strong communication skills, <laughs> Then and, and then companies are spending $38 million a year training employers, employees to have them, that it obviously the math is that employees are not coming in with those strong written skills. What I can also kind of extrapolate from those statistics is that if you have those skills, then really the sky is the limit for you. So, you know, it's, it's such a basic thing, writing and speaking. And yet, in my many years in college, when I was in higher education um, career services, 22 years, I saw very few people that had those skills really strongly, and I, and I saw that out in the workforce as well. So I've come up with 14 top tips for improving your speaking abilities, and these are just really things for you to chew on. There's, there's, no, you know, there's no big surprise, I don't think, in any of these, but just some things I want to throw at you. So one thing I see quite frequently with folks is that they speak too fast. Or in some cases, they speak too slowly, but they're not speaking at a cadence that is kind of respected by and understood by most people. Um, if you've ever been with someone, and I know I have, where I find myself finishing the sentences because it's just so long and drawn out, you just so much want the sentence to end that you're actually helping the person out. And I'm sure it doesn't feel like help at all to the other person. I'm sure it's frustrating to them, but it's also very frustrating to us to listen to that. The flip side of that is someone who is speaking so quickly that there's no, the, the brain just can't absorb it fast enough. And, and sometimes when you speak really fast, the words get muddled together and it's not clear what, what you're saying. So finding that cadence, and I think the time that this becomes the most difficult is when you are doing a presentation or speaking in front of a large group and our nerves get the better of us and we tend to speed up. I'm super guilty of that. I'm super guilty of thinking that I'm very clear in what I'm saying, and then I go back and listen to myself and realize that I didn't make a lick of sense. So, so slow down, I think, if you're just aware of the cadence that you're speaking at and kind of sort of visit yourself from the outside of you, kind of listen to yourself as if it's not you, I think you'll get a, a feeling for whether or not you're at that right cadence. So that's number one, slow down or speed up. Number two, smile when you talk. And you know, even if, like I'm talking into a microphone right now and I'm smiling and hopefully you can hear that. I know my voice 
the timbre is what it's called. I have a degree in music, so I know words like timbre. The timbre of my voice changes when I'm smiling. So I make a point to smile when I'm on the phone with my clients, um, when I'm doing things like this, like a podcast. So even if they can't see me, I want to smile. It does make a difference. So number three, like um ah, like um ah, oy they on the likes, the ums, and the ahs. So here's the deal. I was listening to, had to be in a, on a webinar earlier um, in July, and a gentleman was going to present for us who I knew had a problem with us and ums because I had heard him before. And so right as soon as he came on the call, I decided to tally his ums and his ahs, and he spoke for 10 minutes, and I would just love for you to guess at how many ums and ahs he gave us, the audience, in 10 minutes. 87 and that was the ones I caught it was going so fast sometimes the us and the ums were there would be multiple us and ums right together and I tried the best I could to count them and I came up with 87 it was probably more so needless to say I don't remember what he was saying I don't remember what he was telling us because I was so distracted by the ums and the ahs and like of course is the same thing it really dilutes the message. Whatever message you're trying to convey, those vocal pauses like, um, ah, whatever else you may throw in there, it's always going to dilute the message that you're trying to give. You know, I, um, <laughs> there I go, I did an, um, I've gotten much better at this since I've started podcasting because, of course, I have to listen back to myself. And interestingly enough, in Audacity, where I do my editing, I can see when an um is coming up. I know what an um looks like on the, you know, the, the sound waves that I'm seeing on the screen. So I've learned that I can either quit saying them as frequently or just have a lot more time in the edit booth when I'm cleaning up my work. So I've gotten, I think, much better at it. So likes, ums, and ahs, that's number three. Number four, don't fear a pause in a conversation. It can be really effective. So whether you're speaking or whether you're listening to someone else who pauses, a vocal pause can be very effective. You know, if you're giving a presentation, you can really kind of get people on the edge of their seat by maybe asking a question and not giving them the answer or, you know, kind of leading up to something that's really exciting, and then you don't give it to them right away. So those vocal pauses can be highly effective. This is something that I really see a difference between extroverts and introverts, because introverts, people who get their energy from within themselves, are much more comfortable with vocal pauses than we extroverts are. And so we extroverts tend to want to fill up the silence. If someone else is speaking and they stop, maybe they're an introvert, maybe they're very comfortable with vocal pauses, or maybe they're just gathering their thoughts, we tend to want to jump in and fill that space. And, and I invite you to become, become comfortable with vocal pauses, both as a way of effectively kind of uh, underlining a point that you want to make, but also to allow the other person when they're speaking the space to do the speaking the way that they want to do it without you rushing in to sort of rescue them. So that's number four, don't fear the pause. Number five, you want to segue to a new topic with grace. Now I'm thinking about this particularly in one-on-one -on -one conversations and I'm fond of saying to my, my friends, I'm about to put on my turn signal. I'm going to make a right turn here. So I will verbally tell them that I'm going to change. This is also something that's very common with extroverts is they will switch gears 
mid-sentence and sometimes leave the other person wondering what just happened. So if you are going to segue to a, not, a new topic, how can you gracefully do that? How can you introduce that? By the way, I wanted to also touch base with you about whatever. Some people are going to have more trouble mentally shifting gears than other people. So you do want to give people the opportunity to mentally make that right turn before you start on that new topic. So that's number five. Number six, big words don't help, and here's why. So first of all, and th this ties into number eight, so I'm gonna, or, or number seven, so I'm going to give you six and seven together. So six is big words don't help. Number seven is you want to be sure you're using words correctly. So one thing that can happen is you get distracted to make by making sure that you're using the right word. So you're not positive you're using it, so you're kind of tentative, and then you're thinking as you're going, continuing to talk, you're kind of second guessing, was that the right word? Did I use that in the right context? From the listener's perspective, it can really throw them off when those big words come in because if they don't have the vocabulary that you perhaps have, then they're off on a tangent trying to figure out contextually what that word meant, right? So you've thrown in a word, they don't know it. Instead of following and keeping up with what you're saying, they have now, think of it, they've kind of turned onto a dirt road where they're trying to find down that dirt road of their brain, what does that word mean? And they're looking for clues and context. You know, they're going back, what did she say before that? What did she say right after? What might that word mean? That's likely, unless they're a good friend of yours, they're never going to ask you what that word means. It's kind of embarrassing. So for all of those reasons, I would say, Minimize those big words. They really don't help you. They don't make you sound more intelligent. And there's, there's a lot of risk with those words. So that's number six and number seven. Number eight, I invite you to speak in active voice as much as possible. So that's the difference in between saying, you know, this product could be a good, good uh, seller for us to an active voice would be, I am confident that this product is going to be a great seller for us. So it's, it's taking away that passive voice and using an active voice. Now, this is specific for speaking, but also it really applies to writing as well. It tends to be more engaging when you speak and write in active voice. So that's number seven. Oh, I'm sorry, number eight. Number nine de-slang your language and watch the use of company-specific terminology outside of your organization. So I read into this all the time as a resume writer. I will get a client's existing resume or their questionnaire and there will, it will be filled with abbreviations, terms that don't make a lick of sense to me. Even their job titles a lot of times don't make sense. So you have to really think about your audience when you're speaking. If you're talking to someone else in your company, they're probably going to know your company-specific terminology, but outside, it may fall on deaf ears. And again, it's kind of the same thing I said before. Somebody ends up taking a, a side road because they're trying to figure out what that word or that term means instead of continuing to follow what you're saying and kind of keeping up with you. Number 10, I want you to keep your language clean. Again, this is, this is all about knowing your audience, and it could be very offensive to your audience if your language is peppered with obscenities. Um, so that's just a real basic one that I encourage you to, to practice, really, even if it is somebody that you know well at work. Because when you're at work, you never know who's listening behind a door or around the corner or <laughs> in the other bathroom stall. Number 11, 
which is one I'm trying to work on, watch out for vocal fry. So vocal fry is that kind of gravelly quality to your voice. If I talk like this, I kind of have, I have vocal fry and I do have a tendency to talk with a little bit of vocal fry. But if I get up out of that kind of speaking with my throat and I'm speaking for my diaphragm, again, this is the music teacher in me coming out, I can speak in a much more um, appropriate, much more, um, not even appropriate, I want to say it's a more pleasant to listen to quality in my voice. Um, so vocal fry is a real issue for some people. You've probably listened to people that their voice just really grated on your nerves and maybe you didn't know it was called vocal fry or didn't identify it as such, but that's what it is. Number 12. You want to not trail up at the end of your sentences. You end up sounding unsure of yourself, unconfident of what you're trying to say. So if I were to say to you, uh, one of the things I want you to do as a job seeker is buy a new, uh, buy a new suit. It's just, it doesn't sound like I'm convinced of what I'm saying. So you want to not trail up at the end of your sentences. And then to go along with that, you want to watch phrasing sentences as questions. It's called technically, it's called up talk. And so if I say, I really think you should buy a new suit, it sounds like I'm really asking, you know, do you think you should buy a new suit? I, I don't sound at all confident. So again, watch that trailing up at the end of sentences, watch that up talk, which is essentially phrasing sentences as questions. And then finally, number 14, avoid speaking in a monotone. People are going to get bored really quick of listening to you if there's no modulation in your voice, if there's no change in volume, change in voice quality, change in uh, speed or cadence of your voice. So that's just something to be aware of and kind of, especially when you have the opportunity to listen to yourself back, to kind of listen to, you know, is my voice interesting? Am I keeping that interesting? So those are my 14 tips for improving your speaking ability. Slow down, smile, watch the likes, ums, and ahs, don't fear the pause, segue to a new topic gracefully, big words don't help, make sure you're using words correctly, Speak in an active voice as much as possible. De-slang your language. Watch the use of company-specific terminology outside of your organization. Keep your language clean and free of obscenities. Watch out for the vocal fry. Don't trail up at the end of your sentences. <laughs> and watch up talk. Phrasing sentences is a question. <laughs> and avoid speaking in a monotone. All right, here are my top 12 tips for improving your written communication skills. So if I've harped enough on vocal, verbal communication skills, then let me harp doubly on written communication skills because this is a hot mess. And remember what I said at the outset, two-thirds of salary jobs require a substantial skill set in this area. All right, number one. And these, I, th I thought this was such a great recommendation and I cannot take credit for it. I found it on a couple of sites that I looked at. You want to read a lot. There is a strong correlation between reading and writing skills. So reading good writing actually sends good writing habits into your subconscious. So we're not talking about, you know, trash mags or maybe not talking about romance novels, but we're talking about good quality writing. So read a lot, number one. Number two, 
write as often as possible. So if you are someone who is genuinely trying to improve your writing skills, make a commitment to write 15 minutes a day. Get a journal and just write whatever. Don't worry about content. Don't worry about the topic or any of that. Just write. It's practice makes perfect. Number three, review and edit your own writing. So once you've done that writing, if you're, let's say you're just writing a short story or something to practice your writing skills, go back and edit it. Go back and review your own work. And also you might want to think about taking a course and or swapping writing with a friend. So if you know someone who's in the same boat, you guys can go in this together. You can each write for 15 minutes a day and once a week you can swap your journals and, and edit for each other. Number four, you want to keep a journal either paper or online, to let your feelings flow. So the more you write, the more inspired you're going to become, and then you're going to want to write more. It's, it's not going to be as painful. So, but having said that, this is a discipline, so it's important for you to write even on those days when the last thing you want to do is write. You just don't feel like it. I promise you those are going to be the most, most cathartic days if you actually do the writing. And again, as I said a moment ago, 15 minutes a day can make a huge difference. So don't feel like this has to be a massive undertaking. Number five, before sending business communication, you want to ask yourself three questions. I'm sorry, four questions. Number one, is the tone of this communication right for the audience? So in other words, am I speaking in the way that the reader will receive it? Second, does my communication get straight to the point? so the reader knows exactly what I'm asking them to do and it, it's as quick as possible. They know very clearly. They don't have to read four paragraphs before they figure out why I'm writing to them. It's very clear to the beginning, from the beginning. Number three is my writing simple and direct without extra words and off-topic information. So this is really an editing process. Go back through that email. What can I edit out? What is extraneous? What is maybe not completely clear? What uh, is off-topic? And then finally, have I reread at least once for grammatical errors, correct spelling and punctuation, and coherence? So everything flows, makes sense together. So, you know, you want to reread this thing multiple times. And I promise you, as much correspondence as I do, I still read every email multiple times before I send it out. Because the things that I'm certain I spelled correctly, I go back and the tense is wrong, the spelling's wrong, the word usage is wrong, whatever. So you want to make sure the tone is right of the, of the communication, that it gets straight to the point, that it is simple and direct writing, and you have read it for grammatical errors and, and spelling and such. Number six, deliver negative communication in person whenever possible because written communication removes that nonverbal component. They can't see your face. They can't see your body language. They can't see your hand gestures. And so... That negative communication can be mistaken, misunderstood, in the absence of those nonverbals. Um, I forget what the statistics is about how much of what people understand is nonverbal, but it's something like 80% is nonverbal and 20% is the words you're speaking. So you're taking that component out. So whenever it's negative, whenever it's a, let's call it a difficult conversation, have that in person whenever possible. And by in person, I, I mean also it could be over the phone, it could be a video conferencing call, but it's not email. Number seven, read your communication aloud before you send it. I often find that something I think is like super well written, super makes sense, then I read it and it doesn't flow nicely. It doesn't flow off my tongue. So read it out loud. 
Number eight, avoid redundancy in your writing. So here are some examples. Oh, and this one's a huge pet peeve of mine. So things like previous experience, prior experience. Think about that. You can't have experience without it being previous or prior. It's inherent in the word experience. So whenever I see previous experience, and I see that in a lot of, I see it in ads, I see it on commercial, I see it everywhere, and it's a, it's a redundancy. It's unnecessary. The state of Florida, the state of Georgia, that's a redundancy because you just can say Florida, Georgia, Missouri, whatever. End result is, de is, is a redundancy. If it's a result, then you're at the end. It's not a, there's no such thing as a midterm result. So end result is, is, is redundant. Absolutely necessary or absolutely essential. If you're saying something is necessary or essential, then it is inherently an absolute. There is no need to say both. So number nine, can one word say what three words are currently saying? So for example, instead of saying in, in place of, you just say instead. As well as, just say and. So th look through your writing to see places where you've used excess words that, that just aren't necessary, that, that don't add anything, and that take up space. Number 10, be especially careful with those words that we all screw up from time to time. There, there, there. So you've got T-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E-Y, apostrophe R-E, and it's... I-T, apostrophe S, and I-T-S, etc. So any of those words where there are multiples um, that are used in different situations, they all sound exactly the same, be very careful with those. I, I'm extra careful when I go back through reading with those kinds of words. I want to make sure that I've used them in the right, right way. And then number 11, correct usage of me, myself, and I, right? So Jane and I went to the store, and I always break it down. This is how I know which one to use. Jane went to the store. I went to the store. I wouldn't say Jane went to the store. Me went to the store. I wouldn't say Jane went to the store. Myself went to the store. So I know that Jane and I went to the store is the correct usage. Next one, my boss grilled me about the report. My boss didn't grill I about the report, and the boss didn't grill myself about the report. And then I blame myself for what happened. I, didn't blame, I don't blame me for what happened, and I don't blame I for what happened. I blame myself. So number 12, keep paragraphs short when you're writing. So one topic per paragraph. So two to five lines per paragraph. Now one thing that I've started doing uh, because I write so many blogs is I write a lot of one-sentence paragraphs. Now that's not standard acceptable practice in business writing. So if you were writing something that was going to be you know, used in the communication of your company, you might not do that. Maybe you would. But I invite you to think about that. I like those little chunks of one sentence per paragraph. Now, I wouldn't want to do a whole document, although I've seen that. I've seen where people have used one sentence per paragraph the whole way through. But I like to mix it up a little bit. I like to have some paragraphs that are a little bit longer and some that are a little bit shorter so that there's that variety in there. So let me go over those again one more time. So number one, read a lot because good readers are good writers. Number two, write as often as possible. Set up a practice of 15 minutes a day. Number three, review and edit your own writing and maybe find a buddy that you can swap writing with and, and edit each other's. Number four, keep a journal, paper or online, to just let your feelings flow. Just let them out because you're going to get a, be a better writer no matter what you're writing about. You're going to get a, become a better writer by writing. 
Number five, before sending business communications, ask yourself, is the tone of the communication right for the reader? Did I get right straight to the point? Is my writing simple and direct without excess verbiage? And have I reread it for grammatical errors or spelling, punctuation, that kind of thing? Number six, deliver negative communication in person, which can be on the phone. It could be via a web conference. Number seven, read your communication aloud to see if it flows off the tongue as well as you think it flows off uh, the written word. Number eight, avoid redundancy in your writing. So previous prior experience, state of Florida, the state of Minnesota, the state of California, end result, absolutely necessary or absolutely essential. Number nine, can one word say what three words are currently saying? So in place of, just say instead, and as well as say and. Be a, number 10, be especially careful with there, 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 and it's, and it's, those kinds of words that people mess up a lot. Number 11, correct usage of me, myself, and I. Number 12, keep your paragraph short with one topic per paragraph, maybe two to five lines at the most. So in kind of conclusion, how you present yourself in your written and spoken words really says a lot about you. So you want to make sure that you're presenting yourself in the best way possible. And you don't want the thing that holds you up from promotions and from getting new jobs is to be your written or communication or, or verbal communication skills. So I hope this has given you some food for thought about how you speak and how you write. Again, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Like me on Facebook. That's uh, The Exclusive Career Coach. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn at The Exclusive Career Coach. Follow me on Instagram at lisa.edwards. And hook me up with a review on iTunes. Get points for all those things during the month of August and win that wonderful basket of cool stuff. And my webinar is coming up on August 14th. So sign up at exclusivecareercoach.com slash webinars dash sign dash up. And I will see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.